Welcome into Hardcore College Football. It has been a long, long time. We had a podcast about, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago, and we had Will on to talk about his book. Um, but then we went away, and we've been away for a while. And I thought, hey, if we're going to bring it back, what better way to bring it back than with someone who was on the show from the very beginning. We were just talking about it before we started. It's been almost two years since Hardcore College Football started. And with me on those earlier episodes was Mr. Ron Redden, and today he is back on the show to talk a little college football. What is going on, Ron? It's been way too long. It has, man. I'm glad to be back. Glad to be talking college football with one of my good friends, man. So it's good to be back. You know, a lot has happened since we've been away, since you've been away. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to be here. A lot has happened. I mean, we were talking, it had been... June 6, 2020, when we recorded a podcast, and we were talking about before, we don't even remember what we talked about that day. I'm guessing it was probably something along the lines of if we're going to have college football or not, but who knows? Um, and, and kind of, as uh, both of us are Penn State fans, we kind of both kind of forget about 2020, and we move on to 2021. And, you know, we're about halfway, almost halfway through the college football season already, and... I don't want to say it has 2007 vibes, but that's been floated out a couple times. We have some craziness going on, at least I would say between 3 and 25. And then I think we can all kind of agree that the top two teams are Alabama and Georgia. But what have your initial thoughts been so far in this season? Yeah, I think so far it's been exactly what you what you just said. So, like, we have Alabama and Georgia, but I think – just both on the field and just roster wise, they're just head and shoulders above everybody. Um, you know, they, they've been the most consistent. They have the biggest, you know, at my, my favorite part of the game, especially in college football, it's the trenches. Those two teams in the trenches so far this year, are just head and shoulders above the rest. Um, but I definitely think like this year, I won't go 2007 yet, but I think that like there this this year has has like the opportunity to have maybe that sleeper team that like you know we we're not seeing yet so far like eventually come through as the top team because you know even as good as Georgia is, you know, they have a little quarterback issue right now with JT Daniels being out, Stetson Bennett able to to man the ship so far but you know if the, the JT Daniels thing isn't figured out well then that might derail their chances and you know Alabama kind of got hit by the injury bug losing Jace, McKe- Jace McClellan this week they've lost a few other players for the year so I feel like this this year is, is going to be crazy and we're, and we're only five weeks in yeah and I don't really like talking about Alabama George right off the bat but I think that's the best place to start because they are the two best teams um, Alabama taking care of Ole Miss. Uh, I was listening to the ESPN podcast earlier today, and they, they called it burnt popcorn because Lane Kiffin went in there saying, get your popcorn ready, and it ended up really just kind of stinking up the place. Um, really, I don't, I don't know other way to say it besides Nick Saban had the perfect game plan, and Ole Miss looked you know, like a fish out of water. And, and I don't know if that's just Nick Saban being Nick Saban or if maybe we overrated Ole Miss, but Alabama looks really good. And then you had... Georgia, who not only took care of Arkansas, they 
they kind of pounded Arkansas into submission. They were able to run the ball really well. And, and you mentioned JT Daniels being out and, and Stenson Bennett coming in. I think Stenson Bennett, maybe not to beat Alabama, but I think they could beat anyone else in the country with Stenson Bennett. I think he's good enough with the running game that they have uh, to beat most teams if not all the teams in the country besides maybe Alabama. So I'm, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are on that. But but correct me if you're if I'm wrong here, but I would take Georgia's defense over Alabama's defense right now. And without question, I would take Alabama's offense over Georgia's offense. Are we kind of on the same page there? Yeah, that's exactly how I think as well. Um, I think, though, like like if we're if if we're basically on a on a collision course here for Atlanta, you know, Georgia, Alabama, to me, it's who whose offense can make a play. Because I think Georgia's defense is so great that it's like, you know, this defense that nobody can run on, nobody can throw on. They're not allowing any points. They're creating turnovers. It's like, okay. If I had to pick, can Alabama's offense make a play against Georgia's defense or can Georgia's offense make a play against Alabama's defense? I think I'm going to take Alabama for now, but losing McClellan for the year is big to an already, you know, injured team. Um, And I just think that, like, we can't forget as well that Bryce Young is a freshman or for a first-year starter as well. I think that's a big thing that's going to develop over the course of the year here is he's still young. And, you know, we see it around the country. Like we saw it in Ohio state. We we see it with a couple of other schools. It's like these first year starting quarterbacks, it's not, it's not always going to be perfect. And so far Bryce Young has been really, really good. He has a lot to work with, but you know, that's a that's a factor as well that I think against the Georgia defense we kind of have to account for. I think Bryce Young is good enough not just to beat Georgia but but to really beat everyone else in the country. I am more concerned with Alabama's rush defense. When you saw what Florida was able to do, I don't think you're going to be able to spread them out and beat them. I think that's why Ole Miss struggled so much, and I think that's why. Ole Miss playing Arkansas this week is going to struggle with Arkansas because they don't have the ability to really run the football. And against at least Arkansas, I think you have to be able to run the football, as Georgia showed. And same thing with Alabama. So the fact that Georgia does have that ability to run the ball, I think that really bodes well for them. Um, But we'll have to wait and see kind of what happens there. Um, I think undoubtedly they're the two best teams. But I know you want to talk a little bit more about the SEC as a whole. Besides those two teams, I couldn't tell you right now who the second best team in the SEC West is. And uncomfortably, I think I would tell you Kentucky is the second best team in the SEC East. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, who, when it, when it comes to the SEC, you know, we have Georgia and we have Alabama, you know, are either of those two teams realistically going to lose to an SEC team this year? Probably not. I think we'd all be surprised. And so to me, it's like Alabama and Georgia are going to carry this conference this year to potentially two college football playoff spots. And, you know, maybe Kentucky is the third best team so far. Yeah, I I think so. I don't know. 
Um, Tennessee looked good last week, but you know, it, it's kind of like it's it's kind of like to me, it's like we had the two titans of the comf- of the conference and in the country, and then everybody else is just below that. But because you're in the same classroom as them, it's like it just means more down here. You yes, know? you don't have to tell me We're that. We're different. I've, you know, I have been now, now, in, now in Auburn in Auburn upset this weekend at home against Georgia, regardless of, you know, it looks like JT Daniels isn't going to play. But if Auburn is able to beat Georgia after beating LSU in Death Valley and, and their only loss so far being on the road against Penn State, who's a top four team, then I could see, OK, let's start the chatter back up. I agree. This might be a competitive conference, but so far to me, it's like I'm just not seeing it. Let's um, I I do want to make a good point here that Florida handled Tennessee. So although Tennessee looked better, we do have to remember Florida beat Tennessee, and Florida, you know, has kind of fallen from the ranks a little bit. Into your point though, if at the end of it, let's say Georgia and Alabama just demolish everybody on their schedule. Just absolutely cream everybody. Georgia beats Kentucky by at least 21 points. I don't know. Let's just say that game's like 35-10 or something like that. Let's say Alabama, which I don't ever see them crushing Auburn in an Iron Bowl, where, whenever it is, no matter how good they are. But let's say they do that. Let's say they take care of LSU. I assume they're going to take care of Texas A&M this weekend because, man, does A&M look really awful all of a sudden. Let's say they take care of everybody handily. In my opinion, I know it's early. I don't like having this conversation at the beginning of October. But if they're going to play in the SEC championship, I don't see the reason, again, depending on what else happens everywhere else, why we should automatically assume the loser of the SEC championship gets to go in. If the SEC is not maybe that good this year compared to previous years, and both of them destroyed the whole everyone in the SEC and they played each other, to me, that is a perfect opportunity to use the SEC championship as a play-in game to the playoff. And so I, I just feel like that's a missed opportunity if we allow the loser to automatically be in, depending on what else happens across the country. I I don't disagree. And like you said, it's, it's early. Um, we're going to have college football playoff rankings out soon. But um, to me, I think it's just going to be hard if they both roll through the schedule, like, like, so to me, like, like to your point, if they both roll through their schedules, it's kind of like, well, you ran through your schedules. They weren't that challenging for you. You know, this should be a playing game. I think it's going to go the opposite way. And I think because they would both run through their schedules and be undefeated playing each other, it's going to be, you know, well, clearly these two teams are two of the best four in the country, even though, they just played each other, and you know I I would assume it'll be a close game again. You know we they're gonna go yes. undefeated. It'll be a close game again, like we expect, and it'll be this one team's gonna win and punch their ticket. And then I think that ultimately, yeah, it's gonna be a you know yes we just played each other, but clearly one of the four best teams. I think they're gonna have a really good case. And and I don't want to jump ahead, but like in the Big Ten, I think the Big Ten, the Big Ten situation is a lot different because I think Iowa has a chance theoretically. Like let's say Iowa runs the table, 
you know, they don't play Ohio State. You know, like they, they they have a very easy schedule after they play Penn State. We don't know. We don't really know how good Wisconsin might be. I think we know. I, th- I think we know now. That. <laughs> At least offensively, we know pretty well, I guess you should say. But they still have a pretty good defense, and you know that game is going to be one of those slugfest games, a knife fight. No, they still have Nebraska, but, I mean, Nebraska's looking like the second-best team in the Big Ten West right now. Yeah, and, and you know, rivalry game against Minnesota end of the year always, you know, you never know in the rivalry games. But I think the difference between the SEC two-team argument and the Big Ten two-team argument is if Iowa goes undefeated and their only loss is in the Big Ten championship game, then I think, like, if Ohio State theoretically runs the table and they're a one-loss Big Ten champion, I believe Iowa would still deserve to be in. You know, I think that they would still deserve to be in if their only loss is in the Big Ten championship game. But I don't think that Iowa would get in. Right. I agree with you there. I think, And I think that's the difference. I think that the, the SEC having two teams, whether it's fair or not, whether, you know, whatever, I think if they have two teams that meet undefeated, or in the in the SEC championship game, and they both end up with one loss, they're going to have a higher chance of just getting two teams in um, than the Big Ten, and they have the precedent. I, and that is exactly, and that's what I was thinking. Like done it like, before, right? And, and I think I, I there's a difference between what I think should happen and what I think will happen. I think you're right. Georgia would get in in that situation, and it's hard not to look back at what Iowa did when they did make it into the playoff. And they got absolutely annihilated. So it's like you got to kind of take it for what it is if you're Iowa. I don't think a one-loss Iowa could get in. But I do think if Penn State goes on the road, and we're going to get to the Big Ten and this game in a second, I do want to ask one more SEC question. But theoretically, if Penn State lost to Iowa and then ran the table and won again in the Big Ten Championship, they're a lock for sure. Let's say they beat Iowa and lose to Ohio State, and Ohio State's their only loss, and Ohio State runs the table the rest of the way. I could still see a potential chance for Penn State to get in with just that one loss. I would really – it'd be a tough argument if Iowa had won against Penn State but lost in the Big Ten Championship by, like, let's say 20 points to Ohio State. But then Penn State only had one loss on the road to Ohio State by three, but lost to Iowa. I don't know what the committee would do in those eyes because Penn State would have a lot better resume as far as beating Auburn, you know, going on the road at Wisconsin and winning, you know, only losing to Ohio State by three, beating Michigan State and Michigan. So that's going to be a fun argument down the stretch, and we have plenty of time to talk about that. But there's a lot of scenarios right now in play that we're going to get to a little bit later in the show as well. I just think it's fascinating because this year of all of the other years, there seems to be a lot more on the table. And I think a two-loss team, you know, it's not it's not going to happen yet based off where we're at. But at least it seems more possible this year that a two-loss team gets in. Before we go on into the Big Ten both of us are Penn State alums. We want to talk about Iowa, Penn State. I want to ask one more thing. We have LSU playing Kentucky this week. Kentucky's undefeated. A lot a lot of heat on Ed Orgeron at LSU. LSU, by the way, i got to knock them a little bit here. Everyone is talking about the LSU Death Valley night game is, you know, is the only competition to the, the whiteout at Penn State. And then in a huge rivalry conference game against Auburn, the Tiger Bowl, if you will, 
in the fourth quarter when it was a five-point, two-point game, whatever it was. I know it was a late game, but that crowd was not only quiet, there was a lot of empty seats. And for a place that likes to call themselves Death Valley, for a place that says it's louder than Penn State in a wideout, I was very disappointed in seeing the atmosphere there. I thought it was a big opportunity. I thought it was a really important game for LSU as far as kind of turning things around. And the environment wasn't really there. And they ended up losing you know, a game they probably should have won. Uh, what are your thoughts on LSU? And what are your thoughts on this LSU-Kentucky game? Yeah, I mean, I think LSU is they're, – they're in a danger zone this year for sure, you know. Last year was the COVID year, you know, you kind of chalk it up to that. And, you know, a lot of schools chalked it up to that. You know, it was COVID. It was, it was challenging on a lot of people. There were a lot of opt-outs and things like that. And now, you know, we're kind of back to, you know, this is the land. This is, this is the real thing. And it's looking like, uh-oh, like if this is, if we're back to regular college football this year, LSU is, is kind of down. Um, and you know they've 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 had some they they've had their share of you know injuries they they they're they they lost Stingley uh, today they lost um, Anthony their their best defensive lineman so like they've had injuries all over the place but you know LSU is LSU you know you won a national championship two years ago and it feels like you know when you lose all of that talent both on the field and in the coaching staff. A drop-off is bound to happen. It's going to happen. Um, but it just feels like a very, very like fast fall um, for a national championship team, um, especially of the caliber of LSU with those resources and things like that. Um, you know, the Death Valley thing, I, I still think Death Valley is probably one of the best atmospheres in college football. I didn't really pay attention to the atmosphere that much on Saturday, but – I can think that, you know, when you've already lost, you know, a couple of games, when, you, when you've already lost, you know, to, to UCLA this year and, you know, things like that, I can see how, you know, the juice might not necessarily be there. Um, but, you know, it, it's definitely disappointing. It's, it's, I would say that would be the word I would use for LSU right now is disappointing. Um, I'm reading Orgeron's seat might be warm, which is kind of crazy to me after winning a national championship two years ago. Think that should buy you a little bit of time, but you know, uh, down you know down in the SEC, not everybody has patience. But um, I think this week actually, I'm gonna take LSU over Kentucky. Um, I think this this is a big big letdown spot. For Kentucky, you know, you just won a game against Florida. You probably shouldn't have won. Biggest win, you know, in in Kentucky in a long time. LSU has been down. You know, you think that, you know, we're going to keep this train rolling. I could see Kentucky maybe slipping up a little bit at home a week after, you know, that big win. It's hard to get kids up every single week like that. And I actually think, like, LSU, I won't say they played well, but they played well enough to win against Auburn. I think if a couple of things went their way, if Bo Nix doesn't spin out of a sack 25 yards away from the end zone and, and he used the touchdown, who knows? But I felt like 
even though LSU lost last week, they showed me something that I hadn't seen from them all year. They kind of showed a little bit of fight and a little sense of urgency. So I'm going to go ahead and actually lean the other way here and, and, and go with LSU this weekend. Yeah, I, I'm not believing in that at all. I think Ed Orgeron did a better job of taking responsibility for the loss than what Dan Mullen did. And we kind of talked a little bit about that. We are texting about it a little bit. I think Dan Mullen's a big baby. I mean, we. I think we may have talked about this before, but when they he when they uh when they lost to Texas A and M last year, and he was complaining about it being a full stadium and that that was an advantage that he had they didn't have back in Florida and all this other stuff. He basically always finds ways to make sure that it's never his fault about anything ever. I mean, that's just the way he is. And at least Ed Orgeron had the balls to say, you know, at the end of the day, it's all my responsibility. That is something that Dan Mullen has never said, ever. And so when you're, we're talking about maybe two teams that need a bounce back a week, I do believe in LSU a little bit more. I think they can turn things around a little bit more. As far as Kentucky's concerned, little primetime game against Florida. Obviously, they got some help with that blocked field goal. They get LSU at 7.30 as well. Um, so back-to-back home primetime games for Kentucky. I wonder when the last time that happened. Um, and then they go on the road to face Georgia the following week. So this is a tough little three-game stretch here uh, for Kentucky. If they can somehow find a way to go two and three through this, that'd be pretty impressive for Mr. Stoops. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. You know, you got Georgia uh, next week, maybe a little look-ahead spot. It's in Athens. That's probably your de facto SEC East championship game for them. I could see this being a little look ahead. Don't be surprised. I know we'll see, we'll recap it, but I I don't I I don't know. This is a scary spot for me if I'm a Kentucky fan because if you win this game, if you beat LSU, right? You know, you got Georgia Nobody might beat Georgia this year. So losing to Georgia, that's not really a, you know, nobody's going to gonna fault you for that. But if your only loss is to Georgia the rest of the way, and you have Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, New Mexico State, and Louisville, you know, you have a chance to have a really special year if you just get through this game and you take this point. game and you go like that. It's like, I hope that they're just not thinking, you know, we got I think Georgia he's just jinxed them. I, I might have. I might have given them the run, Jinx. Because if you're right, if they don't, I mean, they, they should be favored in the remainder of the games. Mississippi State's looking a little bit better. But, I mean, and, and Louisville is always a rivalry. But you're right. I mean, a close loss to Georgia. And if Kentucky's sitting there at 11-1, they're like, hey, what about us? We only lost you know, to Georgia on the road. But we're a long way from that. Um I don't know. I, I don't know what to expect. I think Kentucky is a fun team. I totally can see LSU winning this game. I, I wouldn't be surprised by it. But I do want to go back to one thing you just said. You said we'd be back on the recap. So that's been confirmed. Ron Redden coming back on Hardcore CFB next week. So I'm glad we figured that one out. I didn't even have to ask. So um, with that being said, let's go into the meat of the podcast. Uh, something that I've been doing a lot of analytics on. Uh, I've been watching uh, CFB Nerds had a 30-minute uh, preview. And while I really like those guys over there, I strongly disagree with, with what they uh, put out. Um, I, their model had 
the weirdest stats, and I, they admitted it was weird because they inputted something, and I think we'd agree that at this point, the way Iowa's defense is getting turnovers, you should probably, in your models, account for them getting some turnovers over points. So they did include that in their model, but I think they did it to a too large of extent because their model ended up having Penn State outgain Iowa in yards per play, which I think... If you ask Penn State fans, they would say, yeah, we probably will have more yards per play than Iowa, but that doesn't necessarily mean you know we would win in the pass at Kinnick Stadium. So I think we could agree that Penn State could have a better offense and put up a lot more yards and still lose. I think that's a very, very feasible thing that could happen, especially with the way Penn State and Iowa typically play each other. However, not only did they have that uh, be the case, they had Iowa winning in their computer model 30-11. to 11. 30 to 11. I was like, well, that doesn't seem to make too much sense. Like, if they win by a touchdown because of it, that's one thing. But to spot them, you know, 19 more points, that just doesn't that doesn't seem to add up. Maybe Clifford, in a situation where they're down by a bunch, that happens. But the model seemed to be a little bit far-fetched there. They both went on to take it a lot closer. They ended up having it a little bit of a closer game, but still favored Iowa. Um, SB Plus, I believe, barely has... Um, Penn State favorite. I think it's like 1.5 points. Um, and I think I saw on late kick on 247, I saw, uh, Josh over there had, I think his model has Iowa by one point, And I think he's taking Penn State to win. So, I mean, it is a close game. I think the spread started out at in Vegas at uh, 3.5 for Iowa. So, I mean, it's a close game. Um, Ron, I'm going to let you take first crack at it because I could talk a lot about it and I want you to get your opinion in there. Yeah, I, I think it'll definitely be a great game. Um, Iowa-Penn State, always a great game. Um, I think that if Penn's like, I, I think the name of the game is who wins the turnover battle. And I think if there are zero turnovers, just zero, Either team, zero turnovers, Penn State wins. I agree. I, I think if there is zero turnovers on both sides, if we're just even on on turnovers, Penn State wins. If Iowa has an edge in the turnover battle, then I think they win. Um, a couple of things that I've just observed and, and have been researching for both sides, I think it's going to be a big deal. Um, and I don't want to sound like the total college football nerd here, football nerd, but Penn State has Jordan Stout. That is a big, big deal in this game. Um, Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week twice so far um, as a punter. And he changes games for Penn State. He he honestly was about 35% of the reason they won the, the Wisconsin game, just flipping field position. And I think for Iowa, uh, while the turnovers help a lot as well, well with them, um, they're like field position is what gives them such an advantage because their offense is incredibly limited, probably sideline to sideline and down the field. They're kind of a, you know, you know, will methodically kind of, kind of gain our yardage here. They don't really go down the field a lot. Like they don't have many like 80 yard drives or 75 yard drives, things like that. They're not, you know, chalking up 50 yard passes and things like that. They specialize in shorter, short fields and holding on to the ball. That's what they specialize in. And I think if Jordan Stout for Penn State 
is able to flip the field enough to where Iowa has to go the length of the field the majority of the time, then I think that's going to that's going to change this game. And I don't think people give punters enough credit, but um, Penn State having Jordan Stout is huge. And I think for Iowa, um, I think Tyler Goodson, so that's the matchup to watch for Iowa. If Tyler Goodson wins his matchup, whether it be against Ellis Brooks, the middle linebacker, or if Penn State puts, you know, Daquan Hardy or Brisker or Jair Brown on him um, coming out of the backfield, if Tyler Goodson has, I would say, if, if he's over about 115, 120 scrimmage yards, I think Iowa wins. I think there's no way Penn State can win if Tyler Goodson has a day. And I think Iowa is, is very young at receiver. You know, they they have a tight end always. We know that. But they don't have a Kittle or a Fant or a Hawkinson yet um, that has developed as far as we know. Um, so I think if you're if you're Iowa, if you can get Tyler Goodson going, you know, the way that he's been going, then I think that's your key to victory here offensively, because I think defensively, we know Iowa is very, very good. You know, we know they specialize in takeaways. I don't think Sean Clifford's going to throw five interceptions. So that might change the game from what people perceive last week, or they're not going to, you know, throw as many as he's not going to throw as many interceptions as Michael Penix did in week one, you know? So I think, I think to me, this game is just going to come down to two things, field position and the turnover battle, because I think Iowa will limit the big plays. That's their, their specialty is we're going to sit in zone and we're going to limit the big plays. So I think if there are no big plays, you know, no crazy 50-yard Jahan Dotson touchdowns or any crazy runs. It's just going to come down to this is a possession-for-possession possession game. What's the turnover battle going to be like? And what team can go down the field? What team can go down the field and control the ball? And I'm picking Penn State to win in a close one. Uh, no bias, of course. But I'm picking Penn State to win because, in my opinion, if the the turnover battle and the defensive battle breaks even or or somewhat close, which I think it will be. I think both defenses are top five caliber. If they're both even, I think I'm going to go ahead and take the offense that I believe can make a play. And I think right now I would I trust Sean Clifford and the, the Penn State offense to make a play more than I trust Spencer Petrus and the Iowa offense to make a play. Now, and I think the best offensive player in the game is on Iowa's side. I think Tyler Goodson is the best player. Um, Jahan Dotson right below him. But um, I think that Penn State is going to make enough plays offensively. They have more weapons offensively. And now they're going up against a, a defense that is stout and that creates turnovers. And, you know, that is going to be something that we have to account for. But I think I read it as well. You know, I, I I don't have it off the top of my head, but I would say they created about three to five turnovers against Indiana. You know, you had five picks alone last week against Maryland. But in my opinion, if the if the turnover pace for Iowa slows down, it changes their team dramatically. 
it changes that outlook dramatically because you're not starting with those short fields. You're not forced to to go down the length of the field. Um, so I think, yeah, Sean Clifford can just hold on to the ball, manage the game. Penn State can where can bring down that zone of of Iowa and make a play that win. And Iowa, if the defense just remains the defense and, you know, you control the ball, you get Tyler Goodson going, you win. So it'll be a good game. But uh, I think it'll be a lot closer than people expect. And I think that if Penn State were to win, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And I feel like a lot of the country would be. I agree with that. All right. So here we go. I agree with everything you said. I think turnovers and field position – Utmost importance. I'm not going to go over things that you've already said. I do at least want to give a little bit of credit to Iowa. Their punter, Tory Taylor, really good punter. The Australian, um, I think he was preseason all Big Ten. So he's not, a, he's not a bad punter by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think he has the same leg as Stout, but he is a good punter um, by any stretch of the imagination. So credit where credit is due there as far as field position goes. Like you said, turnovers, field position, really important. If I told you right now, if this was on a neutral field, and the turnover battle was even, I think we would agree that probably Penn State would be, should probably win by 10 points. If the turnover battle was 0-0 and was at a neutral field, I would say Penn State wins by 10. Um, that being said, it's not. And I think I saw that if Iowa continues the pace at which they are creating turnovers, it would rank number one when it's all said and done at the end of the season. Like, they they are at an astronomical play, uh, pace right now, and I don't think that's going to happen. And I think Penn State's done a pretty good job of taking care of the football, too. That being said, even if Penn State turns the ball over once and Iowa gets a touchdown off of the turnover. I think that's a reasonable thing to expect at this point. I think you are undermining the Iowa defense at this point if you don't assume that they will get at least one turnover and a short field for their offense to score. So let's give them seven for that. Let's say it's a pick. Sean Clifford doesn't see something. He throws a pick. He's had two interceptions this year that have been tipped. So let's just say one gets tipped and Iowa gets the interception. They get a short field. They score. Let's give that to them. Let's give them another three points because they're playing at Kinnick. So that's ten points right there for Iowa off of a turnover and three points for being at home. Does Iowa have the ability to go down the field and score two more touchdowns against this Penn State defense? Everyone's talking about the Penn State offense versus Iowa's defense Arguably so. I think that's going to be a really fun matchup to watch. But does Iowa have the firepower to march it down the field against this Penn State defense and then when they get into the red zone, be able to score two touchdowns? That would get them to 24 points. I think 24 points is the magic number. You get to 24 points, I think you win this game. It's Iowa-Penn State. It's a knife fight. It's going to be a weird score. I think 24 points, if you score 24, you're feeling pretty good about winning the football game. Penn State's defense, not as good statistically as Iowa's at getting turnovers, although they are pretty good in their own right, but they are much better statistically than Iowa when it comes to red zone defense. They're only giving up red zone touchdowns 33% of the time. Right now, Iowa is giving up points in the red zone 83% of the time. I don't know... If Iowa can go in, drive up the length of the field twice, because you mentioned Stout, good punter, probably going to pin him a couple times, 
if again they already have the turnover for a touchdown. If they can go down, drive, and score two more touchdowns on like an 85-plus drive twice to win the game. Can they do that twice? I don't think so. Spencer Petras, a great quarterback as far as Iowa standards. He He's done really well this year. I mean, he as far as Big Ten West quarterbacks go, as far as Iowa quarterbacks go, he's more than just a game manager. He makes plays. They actually have some pretty good talent on the outside um, that can help them. Goodson, I'm not sold on. I actually have my fantasy team. I think he's a really good running back. But I want to bring up one game that I think maybe tells the story for how this could go for Iowa if they don't get Kinnick Magic. Go back to that Colorado State game. They won 24-14. In that game, Goodson rushed 18 times for 57 yards, averaged 3.2 yards per carry, no touchdowns. Spencer Petras actually threw for 224 yards in that game. And if it wasn't for him, they'd probably lose this game. But why that game is so interesting to me is Colorado State is not a good team. Heck, Vanderbilt went on the road and beat Colorado State. Vanderbilt, for Pete's sake, Ron. Vanderbilt. (laughs) Iowa beat Colorado State at home by 10 points. You know why this game was so close? Colorado State only had one turnover, and Iowa had one turnover. It was null in the turnover differential. Iowa's offense, 4 for 13 on third down efficiency against Colorado State. I assume that Penn State's defense is better than Colorado State's defense. I don't know if maybe they're going to be able to keep it to just one turnover, but I think that Penn State's defense has the ability to shut down Iowa's offense more than Colorado State does. And even if we spot them the one turnover touchdown that I think they're probably going to get and maybe even average the rest of the year, I don't know if that's enough. Because in my mind, you say Goodson's the best player on the field. I think Jahan Dotson is. And I, I know you said he was a sec, close second. I think Jahan Dotson is. And I don't even know if it's really that close. I mean, Dotson's playing at a different level right now. And defensively, I don't know if there's a better player on the field right now than Jaquan Brisker. And I think he is maybe somebody that makes a play late that changes this game and gives Penn State the advantage here. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be super-duper ugly close. I don't know if Penn State has the ability to run the ball successfully or not to win this game like they did two years ago when Noah Kane was a completely different running back and he kind of took over. I don't know if... Uh, Kevon Lee can be that. I don't think Noah Kane can be that. What we saw last week against Indiana, he looked atrocious. But I think they find ways. I think Mike Yurcich, like Joe Moorhead, finds ways to get creative and gets first downs when he needs to. I think this Iowa team, although really good, isn't great at red zone defense, which is one spot maybe Penn State struggles with. And I think maybe Penn State does score. Maybe the tight ends are the difference. And how ironic would it be if Theo Johnson, who is a five-star tight end from Canada, who had his choices pretty much down to Iowa and Penn State, although Michigan was floating in the area too, decided to come to Penn State, scores maybe the game-winning touchdown to beat Iowa. There's some college football gods love some poetry, and that sure would be it. That would be some poetic justice. That would be pretty ironic. Um, I think this game is going to be extremely close. I think it's going to be a really fun game. I think it's going to be ugly. Um, one other final point I want to make. And I just heard this um, on the 247 podcast. They, they brought on the 247 beat writer from Iowa. And he brought up a kind of an interesting point. The backup running back. I do not know Iowa's backup running back's name. 
I think he has four fumbles on the year already. He's a he's a redshirt senior. He's been at the program for a while. Four fumbles already on this young season. Do they trust him enough to ground and pound it if Tyler Goodson, who's kind of been bouncing the outside a little bit too much this year, do they trust him in those situations? Because they have fumbled the football quite a bit. Everyone's talking about how much they're getting turnovers. They have fumbled a substantial amount for, for a team that usually takes care of the football. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on you know the, the rush defense. Penn State's already played in a tough environment at Camp Randall. They've already been on the field 95 times against a team that runs the exact same offense that Iowa runs. I don't like Penn State to win this game. I think it's going to be 22 to 19 because you got to have a weird score in a Penn State Iowa game. Kinnick Stadium's tough, but you know what, Ron? Since 2016, Penn or Iowa is uh, 500 in top 25 matchups at home. They are impressively three and two against top 10 teams at home since 2016. But you know what those two losses are to James Franklin and the Nittany Lions. So you just heard all that. Do you got any final thoughts about that? Because I, I have thought hard about this one. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think even if you spot Penn or spot Iowa some turnover points, I think people are not paying enough attention to Iowa's offense versus Penn State's defense. And I think that might be the difference in this one. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I, I think that that is where the game – is going to be won or lost. I think. I think if 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 Penn State's defense can play how they've been playing, and and hold Iowa the way that they've held everybody else, then I think that like nobody's think nobody's talking about that. Like a lot of the chatter is about Iowa's defense, and they make they force so many t- turnovers and things like that. But it's like Penn State's defense is is. Just as good. Yeah, I, I would give them. A, I would give Iowa a smidge hair. I think Penn State maybe has better personnel. Although I think Iowa has some really talented defensive backs, better defensive backs than Wisconsin has. But Penn State's defense is close. They're close. Yeah, and 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 another another note for for me that I, I that that I was was paying attention to because I watched the entire Maryland game. Um, was Iowa didn't get any sacks, any pressure. And against Indiana, they had just one sack. Um, against Iowa State, um, I believe they had four sacks. So so Iowa, or, or two sacks, sorry. So against Iowa State, two sacks through four quarters. Indiana, one sack through four quarters. And against Maryland, who, yes, you beat them by a bunch. But Maryland, who doesn't have a great offensive line, you only got one sack. So if if they don't get pressure, no, a really good Penn State offensive line, a, a, a better offensive line than I think they get credit for, because the running game isn't robust right now. But a pretty great stout offensive line with two solid tackles, I think if they don't get pressure, Sean Clifford is is more than capable. Of, of playing a great game if he doesn't have to worry about pressure because that's where Clifford yes. last year, that's where the struggles kind of mounted was the pressure. The offensive line wasn't great. The offense was a little slow. He never had time to throw and he wasn't comfortable. And I think what with Iowa's defense being so 
so good coverage wise. And I think that's how they force a lot of their turnovers is they sit in the zone and they say, we're not going to allow you to beat us with the big play. You're going to have to make your throws and making throws is hard. A lot of quarterbacks can't make the throws. I think Sean Clifford, especially this year, has shown he can make the throws. Like, he can make the throws. He can limit the mistakes. You know, what, will Penn State have to play maybe a little bit more conservative than I think they, they would like to in this game? Potentially. But I think that, you know, for me, if Iowa isn't going to get pressure in this game, it's going to be a big factor because we know Penn State is going to get pressure. The sack numbers aren't there, but the pressure numbers mm-hmm. and the pressure rates for Penn State are some of the best in the country. And Arnold Ebikidi has been tremendous off of the edge. He only has three sacks on the year so far, but he's in the play every play. He's in every single play. And, you know, P.J. Mustafer, a guy in the middle, is like, He's playing at a really high level. I think people aren't talking about the Penn State defense as much as they're talking about the Iowa defense because the turnover numbers maybe aren't there. Um, and Iowa's obviously turning the ball over at a at an amazing rate. But I think you're right. That's that is where this game is going to be won or lost. And I don't think people have kind of looked into that. It's kind of Kinnick. And Iowa just beat Maryland fifty-one to fourteen, or whatever it was, and that and they that their people are assuming that's where the game is going to be won or lost. It's like no, can Spencer Petrus put up twenty-one points? Yeah, that's what it really comes down to. Yeah, I I want to say one more thing about that. This is not like you mentioned. I this is you can make the argument not that they're bad, but you can make the argument this is one of the worst defensive lines Penn State has faced as far as Iowa teams go. I mean, they have had some serious dogs on that defensive line. And for once, they're actually not reloaded as much as they usually are. So I think they, they, actually... do have, they, they do have one. Uh, they, they do have a guy who I think is special. Um, Zach Van Valkenburg. Yes, he's good, but it... he's he's special. But I don't think they're to the point where they have been in the past. And if you're ranking defensive lines that Penn State has already played. Wisconsin's got some freaking dogs. Auburn has some dogs. I think this is the third best defensive line that they will have faced, which isn't isn't saying Iowa is bad defensive line-wise, but it's just saying that Penn State has already faced some really good ones. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, Penn State has faced really good defensive lines, and I think – you know, like I said, the offensive line, which is pretty much a return of last year, I think a lot of experience there for Penn State and what they've dealt with. Um, but I also th- I also uh, want to highlight one last matchup here that I think is going to win this game or lose this game. And I think it's P.J. Mustafer against Tyler Lindbaum. P.J. Mustafer. 97 for Penn State, senior, leader, huge guy, very large individual, um, has played a lot of football. I believe he he forced the turnover, I believe, the last time they were in Kinnick Stadium. Um, but him against Tyler Lindbaum, who's probably going to be a first-round pick, 
um, and an All-American for Iowa, if that matchup is, is – that's the matchup. If you want to talk about getting your popcorn ready, get your, get your highlighter out when you're watching that game and look in the trenches and watch 97 versus 65. That's the football game. Well, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I think people um, know where we stand on this. I think it's going to be a really exciting, nerve-wracking game. Um, I want to move forward, though, because Cincinnati deserves some of our attention. Cincinnati has beat Indiana, which I don't know what you want to think of Indiana right now. I think they'll be better, but you can still make the argument Indiana might end up finishing last in the Big Ten East. Um Maybe be, maybe they'll be in front of Maryland, but we'll let the wait and see. But right now they're not looking great, and their offensive coordinator is not very good, and they might have lost Michael Penix Jr. for a while. So things aren't going really well in Bloomington. But they've also now beat Notre Dame, and maybe Notre Dame isn't that good. I think Notre Dame, they play Virginia Tech this week. I could see them easily losing that game. In fact, I think I took Virginia Tech to win that game. They also have to play a bunch of other teams, and they finished with at Stanford, by the way. So I, I think Notre Dame loses at least two, if not three more games. The games they thought were going to be easy are no longer easy. They have Georgia Tech on the schedule, which if you told me right now, you know, Notre Dame beats Georgia Tech, I I wouldn't feel great about it. Um, So Notre Dame is what Notre Dame is. But regardless, Cincinnati, undefeated. The the toughest tests are past them. The American isn't looking a strong run. The only other game that they really have to be cautious of is – uh, I think it's number 24 ranked SMU. I think they are now 24th. So SMU is going to be a tough one. They can score a lot of points. Um, what are your thoughts on Cincinnati? Can they actually maybe make it into the college football playoff? Um, or do you think maybe they, they can go undefeated and still be left out because the American doesn't look as good? Yeah, I, I think they, they definitely need some help. Um, but I, in my opinion, if they go undefeated, they absolutely should should be in consideration. I think what they need is they need SMU to run the table. I think they need SMU to run the table. SMU is 5-0 and right now, um, undefeated. And I think if they can beat an undefeated SMU late in the year, November 20th, so like two weeks before the final college football polls are released, and you have a win against Notre Dame. They would they would love Notre Dame to finish ten and two as well, um, or eleven and one, best case scenario. But you know, if Notre Dame finishes in the top ten or fifteen, and you you beat a top fifteen SMU in November, I think you make it. If SMU kind of gets you know eaten alive by the, the the American schedule, and Notre Dame falls to Virginia Tech and Stanford or whoever, then I think it's going to be tough because what's going to happen to Cincinnati, which isn't fair, is yes, you beat Indiana on the road, which is tough. You know, Bloomington's a tough place to play. Um, And you, you beat them and you beat Notre Dame in Notre Dame against the top five, top 10 Notre Dame. What's going to happen is by the end of the year, that that's gonna it's gonna wear off a little bit. It's gonna be so. yes, you beat it. Yes, yes, you beat those teams, but it's November twentieth. It's the final or it's the final week of of the poll, and Notre Dame has three losses now. Indiana mm-hmm. finished six and six. 
SMU finished eight and four. It's like you kind of have to rely on your schedule, the, the, the teams you beat up to kind of bring you up a little bit. So I think it's definitely not in their control. But from watching Cincinnati um, from start to finish for like an actual 60 minute game, they're legit. They are legit. And we've had a few group of five teams, you know, come through as Cinderella's quote unquote. And, you know, this team, should they make it like, no, Cincinnati is a football team. Like that is a legit drop them in any conference and they're pulling their weight football team. Um, and they're led by their defense as well, um, see, which I think is a big, big thing. See, I like their defense, but I am not sold on their offense yet. I am not as high in Cincinnati as others are. Um, I really want to be. Like, I really do want to be. Maybe I'm just a pessimist, but I, I just don't think you can tell me right now that they are one of the four best teams in the country. I don't really know who are the other two best. We know Alabama, Georgia, but... I mean, you, you could not tell me right now that Cincinnati is the fourth best team in the country. And we can have this argument later on. I think it's important, like you said, that when everyone else is playing games that matter in November, except for when SEC plays those FCS teams, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, when Penn State plays potentially top 10 ranked Michigan and then goes on and plays top 10 maybe Michigan State in the same month, and we're like, wait a second. You know, are we really going to take a one-loss, you know, or excuse me, an undefeated Cincinnati over a one-loss Penn State that only lost by three points to Ohio State? Like, is that really what we're going to have to do? Is is that what's going to end up happening? So I think you're right that these losses are going to wear off, and it sucks for them because I really do feel bad for them because what else do you want them to do? Like, they scheduled Indiana. They scheduled... Notre Dame, and both on the road, not even neutral site games. Like, that's awesome. And I think Luke Fickle is an awesome coach, and I hope he doesn't go, and I don't think he is going to go. Um, but I just don't think they're they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do it. In fact, I think BYU has a much, much, much better chance of doing it than Cincinnati. They they have they had a good season last year. Um, they play half of the Pac-12, for Pete's sake. They've already beaten Arizona State. Uh, they've already beaten Utah. And I think I think their schedule is, I know. So so I think I think uh, I don't know. I, I don't know about BYU. I know. I, and, I don't know if they're going to go undefeated. But you're telling me if they go undefeated, you would take Cincinnati's schedule over their schedule. I mean, you got you got freaking. I I would because BYU is is going to miss probably the most important component, fair or unfair, and that's a conference championship. So I think that because they're not going to have that, you got to have just like an incredible schedule. And, you know, they only beat South Florida by eight. You know, they only beat Arizona by eight. It's like Boise State is a big test this weekend. I, it is. It's like if, 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 you, if, if you beat Boise State, and Boise State's two and three, I understand that. They aren't, you know, the top 10, 25 ranked. Boise State of all, but Boise State is still a really, really good program. No, oh, I agree. That'll be a test. Baylor. Hey, Baylor's a good a team. Yeah, Baylor next week. Virginia's a good team. That's what I'm saying. Baylor and Virginia, you can say what you want about Arizona, but Baylor and Virginia are middle of the road of their conference. Like, they are not a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. We don't know where USC is going to be on Thanksgiving, but if they go on the road 
and beat USC to finish the year. I understand that they don't have a conference championship, but if they're undefeated, and let's say they can open USC, like, and not only would that be so embarrassing for USC, but um, if a bunch of Mormons go into LA and whoop some ass, but I just think, I don't think it's going to matter, to be honest with you. I think, what, the American Conference, they would play SMU twice, basically, right? I don't think they beat SMU twice. Maybe not, honestly. And you're right. It probably won't matter. But I think, like, for the BYU front, I think, and, like, like Notre Dame is a huge brand, you know, and, and they, whether you agree with the brand or not, that they should be, but they're a huge brand. But they're an independent. And last year when they made the playoff, you know, they had a, a really, really tough schedule. And, and, and well, this year, the reason that they're playing Virginia Tech and Cincinnati and, and Clemson and, and, you know, they have to have all of these huge games. Sorry, I don't think they play Clemson this year. Wisconsin, sorry. Um, but the reason they're playing like all of these tough schools is because as an independent, if you're not going to have a conference championship, you kind of got to have that schedule carried. Yeah. And. I just think that BYU, you know, in my opinion, they have a really good chance of going undefeated. But fair or unfair, it's kind of like you kind of have to to have that that crazy schedule to kind of offset. Hey, we're not going to have a conference championship when you know that that final weekend of the rankings and that final weekend of games before those final um, polls are released. We're not playing. You know, hey. We got to have, you know, we got to have a good, a, a crazy good schedule. And I just think right now, BYU probably 5, 10, or whenever they schedule these games, it seems like it's getting longer and longer away. You know, I can't imagine that they envisioned like, hey, we're going to need to play, you know, a top five, top 10 out of conference, not out of conference, but like a top five strength of schedule to be in contention for a championship. I didn't think that they thought that. So it's like, that's the reason why the conference realignment thing to me is so important. Everybody's, you know, and I didn't, I didn't mean to sneak in a little conference realignment. Oh, uh, you, that wasn't yeah. on the schedule, damn it, Ron. Wasn't on, but uh, this is why I want conference realignment for things like this. Because while everybody is trying to expand the playoff, while everybody is, is getting mad at Texas and Oklahoma for jumping ship in the Big 12 and going to the SEC, the more of these smaller schools that we can get into actual conferences in the power five. Now we have no excuse. Now there's no excuse. There's no excuse. If a BYU or Cincinnati were to win the big 12 or to win the win, whatever conference they end up uh, agreeing to go to that we can say, okay, they don't deserve to be in, you know, like if Cincinnati was in the big 12 this year, do you think Cincinnati could beat Oklahoma? Yes. I think they could. I that's just Cincinnati because I think a Oklahoma. lot of teams can beat Oklahoma. <laughs> that as well. But I think, if, like, if, but if Oklahoma runs the table, or if Oklahoma goes 11-1, and one, which they very well could because not many teams in the Big 12 can capitalize. I don't think an 11-1, and one, I don't think an 11-1 Oklahoma gets in over Cincinnati. Hmm. I don't think so. It, it, okay, but who was the one loss to? If the one loss is to Texas, I think they get in. If the, if the uh, one loss is to, you know, 
No, some, I don't think it'll matter. Big 12 team. I don't think it's going to matter because Texas. I think they get in with one loss. After, because I don't think Arkansas is going to end up being a top 15 team. And I think you can compare pretty much anyone in the Big 12 out of the Big 12. And really, besides Kansas State beating Stanford, I mean, West Virginia lost to Maryland for Pete's sake. So there's not a bunch of great out-of-conference wins that the Big 12 can really hold on to that you feel great about. Heck, I mean, Oklahoma barely beat Tulsa. So I I don't think Oklahoma has enough in it. And I still go back to playing another game against someone that you've already played doesn't really constitute a real conference championship, but that's besides the point. Um, I, we got to get on to other stuff. But before we do, Ron, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page as far as Coastal Carolina. I assume we agree, even if they ran the table, they won their conference championship, I think we agree that they're – Schedule is probably too weak to get in unless there's absolute chaos. Yeah, it'll, it it would it would have to be chaos. It would have to be chaos. But you know, like like yeah, we we you know, and, and I love coastal, um, but I think too. I think it'll it'll be a uh, a pretty pretty good argument too at the end of the year for that group of five. Uh, yeah. New Year's Six slot. Um, if if it does come down between a Cincinnati or Coastal, or I would not be surprised if Cincinnati does not get that conference or a Group of Five bid. I wouldn't be that shocked. I'm telling you what. I know SMU is SMU. I one team I'm a little bit high on right now is Houston. I think Houston is. I think Houston's quietly doing a pretty good job. I think what they're uh, what four and one here. Uh, they're going to be five and one because I think Tulane's pretty crappy. Like they are doing some pretty decent things. Um, I guess. I guess they're already you know they're already two and zero oh in the conference. Why not Houston? I mean, if you're the Americans, not very good this year. So I think I think there's some things that can happen, and I just don't. As much as I like Luke Fickle, the fact that these two games happened, and now they have to go another two full months of being perfect. Like that is a tough thing for anyone to do. It doesn't even matter who you're playing. I'm rolling, man. I, I'm in. I'm all in. Okay. Well, we'll we'll revisit that. We do need to talk about one other team, um, and that's Oregon. Obviously, losing to Stanford. I, I'm I'm a huge believer in Stanford this year. They beat USC and Oregon. They've single handedly uh, almost eliminated the Pac-12 from the playoff, which I think is hilarious. However, I think there's two sides of this coin. The first coin for me is that they didn't have Joe Moorhead. And you know I'm a big fan of Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead um, and I actually, I don't want to say we have a relationship because we're not like best buds or anything, but he has been pretty cool to me in the past when he's at Penn State. He was not on the sidelines, had a non-COVID illness. I don't know if he's been released from the hospital yet. Um, we've gotten, uh, yeah, I don't think we've gotten an update. I think, I think it's know. been a little bit since we've got anything. So if you know, hopefully he's doing well. Um, Here's up for Joe. Yes. But without him, I think they lose to Ohio State. I think I tweeted this. They, they lose by like 10 something points to Ohio State. Like he is a mastermind. The, the one drive, Oregon went all the way down the field running the football and then decided to throw the ball three times once they got inside the 10. I don't even know who was calling plays that day, but I was like, what is going on here? They lost C.J. Verdell, right, for during that game. And I think – and they lost uh, Thibodeau to a targeting. 
So they didn't even have their best players down the stretch, and yet they they, they fought. Damn, they they ended the game too. Yes, like yes. on fourth down, and that's the yes. thing. That's why I think um, like if if they can somehow regroup here and, and and continue to get it going, and we know Ohio State will continue to be good, and you still have that win. And if Stanford keeps it rolling, you know I can definitely see Oregon still winning the Pac-12. Still I, I think the so too. And still, and still making the playoff. I just think that this is kind of like, like their, their attrition right now, like just the injuries they're going through and the people that they're losing is like, it's mounting up now for them. I my thing with them is I think you're right. I think they could do it, right? I think if they run the table and they do it, that's great. I think they're in. I don't see them going undefeated the rest of the way. I still think going to UCLA is going to be tricky. I still think going to Washington isn't going to be easy. And I know we're not supposed to call it the Civil War. I I know they're bad. I I know they're bad. I know they are as I would go as far as saying they are terrible. But on the road, you I don't want you to overlook that game. November 6th or November 7th, come calling to me. But also one other game that I think is going to be tricky. Well, at least trickier than usual. I know it's at home, but the non-Civil War, whatever the heck they call it now, Oregon State is looking better. Oregon State, they're, they're, listen, they've got something going in Corvallis. Yeah. They're not a bad team out there. So I don't think Oregon is perfect the rest of the year. I don't really know if Oregon can throw, which I'm surprised because I don't, I'm not a huge believer in Anthony Brown, but Johnny Johnson, dude. we talk, I know we've talked about Johnny Johnson together before. I'm a huge Johnny Johnson fan, he has kind of been, I don't know, absent. So I don't know what to think of Oregon. I think if they did run the table, like you said, I think they could find a way in. But I don't think they're going to. I don't. I mean, I, and I, I think, too, and I think even though, like, let's say Oregon, you know, they just aren't able to re, re, regroup from the year. You know, too many injuries, you know, things like that. You know, I still think that, that win against Ohio State, like, just that win. It's not a national championship. You know, it's not a conference championship. I still think that they can win the Pac-12. But, you know, with one or, or two losses, you know, knowing how, you know, the Pac-12 is and they they, they beat each other. Um, but I think just that win, that, that win is big enough to carry a season to me. Because that win... Yes, you had loftier expectations, and you probably should have, you know, you should still be undefeated, honestly. Um, and things go, and, and things just didn't go your way. That win just completely swung the perception of the Pac-12, and it completely swung the perception of of Mario Cristobal and that program, and what that ceiling is. And I think that if you're Oregon and you know, you look up at the end of the year and you had a ton of injuries and you maybe go 10 and 2 and, and things like that and you didn't get to where you wanted where you wanted to get to, which probably should have been a playoff team given the talent and the injuries just didn't break your way. You went on the road in Columbus and you beat Ohio wow. State. You know, it's like that is something that like you're gonna see a ripple effect of that in rec- in recruiting. You're gonna see a ripple effect in that. They are and they are already to Chris Ball's credit, killing it in recruiting. I think they're going to be great out there. I would, you know, I think as far as west of the Mississippi, I think they are the best team. 
I mean, I think if you are looking for someone to get in every year that you maybe aren't thinking of, it's Oregon. I think there's no question about it, especially with where, where USC is at. Um, I, I think there's no doubt about it. Ron, bold take time. Week six, I, I think we maybe list off three of them and we'll just alternate. Um, I will go first, I guess. I think Arkansas beats Ole Miss by more than 14 points. Is that a is that a bold take? Yeah, Mississippi State's favored by six. I'd say that's pretty bold. Yeah, um, I think my first bold take, and I'm I, and and this will really be my second because I said LSU um, earlier in the show, but I'm gonna go out on a limb here and take Rutgers against Michigan State at home in Jersey. Rutgers five and a half point underdog at home. I think that they're going to fight. I think that they're going to fight and and keep it close. I can see them covering the five and a half. They're going to beat somebody they're not supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't – the reason I don't love that is because I think Peyton Thorne has actually done really well for Michigan State. And more importantly, they have a good running game. I think Rutgers beat somebody they're not supposed to, but I think Kenneth Walker is just too good for Rutgers – to stay in that one, maybe I'm wrong. I think I I like that idea, Ron. I'm just not on that level with Rutgers yet. I want to be, and maybe I would have been if they didn't just got their doors blown off by Ohio State. But right now, I'm just I'm just not quite there. But I applaud you for that. I'm gonna go another bold one in the SEC. Then maybe me living down in the South has turned me um, into an SEC homer. And this is really bold, I think, especially because I think a lot of people don't think it's going to be close at all. In fact, a lot of Auburn people don't think it's going to be close at all. I think Auburn covers. 15-point line, which is funny because the over-under is only at 47. To give you an idea, I think the Iowa-Penn State over-under is at like 45. And so basically what this game with a 15-point spread for Georgia. Basically what they're saying is they think Georgia's going to annihilate Auburn. That's what Vegas is telling you. Bo Nix showed me a little bit of, I don't know if you want to call it Moxie, I don't know if you want to call it a little bit of Johnny Manziel. He he showed me something. Uh, Jarquez Hunter, really good speed running back, maybe gets out on the edge a little bit more than what Georgia has seen so far. Tank Bigsby's still pretty good. I, I don't think Georgia loses, but I think Auburn covers. Boom. Bold take. I like it. I think my my other one is Nebraska. I think they get their win. I think win? they get their I'll signature think. win. I think Scott Frost and company, they've been looking for this for years since he's gotten there. They've just needed that one signature game. And I think at home, under the lights, against the Michigan team who is – Highly ranked right now, number nine in the country, whether fair or unfair, whether they should be or shouldn't be. They're number nine in the country. And I just think that of all the games, of all those those primetime games for Nebraska or those big matchups where we thought, you know, can Nebraska do it? Is this their time? Can they get that big win? I think this is the, the best opportunity for them to get that big win at home against a Michigan team who is really good. Aiden Hutchinson is, you know, special, but I think this is the year for Nebraska where if you're gonna get, if you're ever gonna get that big signature win from Scott Frost in this program, it's gonna be at home against a top ten ranked Michigan team. 
who is probably ranked a little bit higher. I, that is a smart point. They probably are worth now. I, at this that's, point. You know what? That's so I'm going to go point. ahead and take Nebraska. Because it would look from the outside looking in, at least from like the national coverage, like a huge win for Scott Frost and company. In my personal opinion, I don't even think that would be that great of a win. I don't think Michigan – Michigan only ended up with like 180 passing yards, and people are like, oh, my God, Michigan can now throw the football. They are undefeated. 22% chance to get into the college football playoff now. I – 40 of it was on one freaking flea flicker, and then the rest of it was in garbage time. I am not sold on Michigan. They got a good running back there in Corum, but I don't have the balls to take Nebraska to win – because Nebraska finds ways, especially on special teams, to mess things up. But I like that pick. This one isn't as bold. Oklahoma, not a good running football team. Texas has one of the best running backs in the country. He's also on my fantasy team. I am taking Texas to beat Oklahoma. Not really a bold take. Not really a bold take. I'm, I'm going Texas as well. I think... Like, if the country does not know who Bijan Robinson is yet, you're, you're going to find out who Bijan Robinson is on Saturday. He he is different. You know what, Ron? You're different, and I appreciate you being here. Um, do you think Do you think that, uh, just, just quickly, do you think Tech or Notre Dame is going to win that game? I'm just curious what your thought is on that. Notre Dame is a one-point favorite, which I think should be illegal to have a one-point spread. I think... This is tough. I'm going to go ahead and pick Notre Dame. I, I'm going to pick Notre Dame. Now, I, I think that – and it, this is similar to me, and I, I don't want to reuse my argument, but I think if you're tech and, you know, the Fuente era has been a little rocky. It just has. It's been a little rocky. You need that signature win. You need that signature home win, really. You know, you haven't beat Clemson. You know, you probably are. I mean, this year you might. But, you know, in years past, Clemson has kind of beat up on you in the conference. And, you know, the ACC has really been a one-team conference. So you you haven't been able to really compete in the ACC to win it. You need a conference win over that over a big opponent. Or not a conference win. Sorry, Notre Dame is not in the ACC. Quote, unquote. Not anymore. But you need a big win. If you're Virginia Tech and you're thinking it's Justin Fuente – the guy, he's been in the program now for almost a handful of years. And, you know, we need this. We need the, we need a game. If you can't win this game, then I don't think it's happening. Like, I don't think it's happening for Fuente with Virginia yeah. Tech in this era. So, to me, yeah, it's kind of like back against the wall. Like, you got to have this game. A Notre Dame team that is coming off of a loss. You're at home. Lane Stadium, everything's going to be rocking. You got to win this game. And they're still taking Notre Dame. Yeah. I, I think Notre Dame's a better team. I really do. I just think. Oh, I think maybe they are too, but I'm going, I'm going with Virginia Tech. Ron, Ron, it's been, a, uh, it's been a pleasure to be back and doing this. Like I said, it's been a while. Um, we're coming up on two years of hardcore college football. I don't know if that really counts because I haven't necessarily been consistent with it this past year as much. Um, but regardless... It has been an absolute pleasure to have you back on. Um, I would like to make it a main, you know, a, a thing again. So we'll have to, uh, we'll just kind of see where we're at as far as schedules are concerned. But it's it's been a doozy, my friend. Yeah, man, it's been great. Uh, hope you know, stay safe, 
Let's watch some good college football this weekend. And, uh, yeah, man, look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Well, for Ron Redden, I'm Corey Lestoke, and uh, this is Hardcore College Football. Hope you guys missed us. Hope you guys tuned in and enjoyed the show. You guys have a fantastic weekend, and we'll maybe try to see you next week. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Who knows? Um, bye, everybody. Bye.